En Route, a podcast about a couple of guys that enjoy sharing thoughts and going deep into conversation. Take us en route to your next destination. We are never running out of topics. back welcome to en route my name is thomas stott on the other side of the country hey david hey coach how you doing i'm doing well thanks all right how is your day going so far it's been good i got a nice bike ride in i woke up a little late so i just decided to do that in the basement but a bike ride's a bike ride it's so easy and so convenient to put that bike up on rollers or on a trainer it really saves a day especially with a family we can talk about ways to save your, your scrapped workout on a late wake up another day. Yeah, indeed. All right. So what we want to cover today is something that just about every runner deals with at some point. We want to talk about injuries. And the way that we would approach this topic that we talked about was under the frame of why we pretend that we're better than we actually are. And it's kind of a bit of a, of a tricky topic to navigate because I think everybody does it. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, a good example of, of this. I, I'm injured myself right now, and it's been an injury that I've been dealing with for probably about five years and have mostly ignored. I've you know got PT and I've taken um, the odd day off here and there, but I've never really taken it seriously and so this is a topic that's really close to my heart and in my head right now that's true i think back to when i first asked you to coach me and fast forward just a couple months later i was rolling around with a dislocated rib for a number of weeks (laughs) i think it was at least seven to ten days before i decided to tell the aside from my wife the one person i should have let known you know, before broadcasting out the social media. Yeah, it's pretty easy to to keep those things quiet. In fact, I think it's much easier just to do that, keep it to yourself or maybe just share with, you know, your, your partner or significant other rather than telling everyone else about that, whether that's, you know, your running group or everyone that might read your Instagram or Twitter feed. Yeah, you think I'm trying to reach back to why, you know, we want to know, we're getting some psychology here, but I'm not sure if that's a thing where it's self-imposed pressure to, to meet this label or this definition of who you think you are, or if it's something to do with, uh, you know, like an ego or pride driven, there's so much to, to unpack in that topic. Yeah. And I think, there's probably, well, probably there are multiple reasons and it's going to differ from, from person to person. But I think there's always that, that pressure, both internal and external that makes us think that, you know, maybe not to treat these injuries as seriously as they are, or 
not to talk about them um, and and tell people about how how significantly it might be impacting not only your running but um, if you keep ignoring it, it can start to impact other parts of your life as well. For sure, and people definitely use running as a means of escape or therapy for for a lot of people. So I think they cling on to to not wanting to lose that. But let's go into pressure. We think of external sources of pressure. The first thing that pops to my mind is the social media access to just about everybody on the planet, right? Your running buds, the professionals out there, there's so much coverage. And I feel like if you run any type of running related social media feed, you feel apt to to keep that going, even if you're not up to doing it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and all of the positive streams that you see when you, you know, when you, log into Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or what, or what have you, or Strava, right? It's, it's all, which is great. Um, there's a lot of positivity coming out of those, um, those social media channels, seeing people running up mountains, high up above tree line, cycling mega distances. And, you know, you want to go out and, and emulate that, whether it's a pro or just someone that another athlete that you, that you look up to and being at home, you know, um, struggling with an injury is is not the kind of image that most people want to put out there. Right. It's tough, too, because I feel like in my own head, I don't want to seem like I'm complaining or looking for sympathy. But I think to a professional runner, so we go and look at the case with Shailene Flanagan. I just remember seeing her name absent from some races for a little chunk of time, but I thought she might just be taking a, a little bit of time off getting ready for the next Olympics. And then boom, she popped up location wise on my radar. Cause she was in Vail just about an hour and a half, you know, 75 minutes from where I'm at. And she was having her patellar tendon. I don't, she hasn't released all the details, but basically detached, cleaned up and reattached. And I'm like, whoa, where's the gap in, you know, performing and winning and we see those iconic pictures of her winning New York, right? And then all the way to to now in Vail and you're under the knife. It just there's a there's a large gap. Something happened in between there that we don't know a whole lot. And it's 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 her right to keep it to herself, but I think it's we only see these positive things a lot of times, not the not the rough stuff that everybody goes through on the daily. Yeah, I think so. I think we tend to, at least this has been my observation on social media, that we see all the great stuff that, that elite athletes do. And then we see them going through, you know, post-surgery recovery or um, just rehab from an, from an injury, but not the steps that led from, like you're saying, that gap from the stellar performance at a race or a, a mega training run to the point when they had to take time off for it, for an injury, what happened in there. And it's, it's their right not to want to talk about that. I think we're starting to see a bit more of that with some athletes, like with their YouTube channels and Instagram feeds being a bit more open and transparent about some of the struggles they have. But for the most part, it, you tend not to see too much of that. Right. And we see that we talked about professionals, but you had mentioned before we get this in our friends too, our local running groups, our running buds, partners of them going out and doing these big things. And once again, you know, they'll come back and complain about that, 
lingering pain in the butt or the high hamstring pull that they still feel, but they're still out there doing it. Yeah. And I, I'd like to touch back on that point you made about complaining. I think that at least for me, and I expect this is true for, for many others, there's a tendency to think that when you talk about, you know, an Achilles pain or a knee pain or what have you, that no one really cares about that stuff. No one wants to care. And that, People are going to think that you're just, you know, putting it out there to get attention or sympathy from from people. And I think maybe part of that's that's true. But I think if you know your true friends um, out there are going to going to care about those things and going to, are going to want to help you, and the sympathy that you'll get from them is, is is true. But it's it's hard to to think about that when you're you're putting stuff out there and trying to be open and honest. You know, open and honest. That's that is very difficult to do because you want these people to know you should want them to know what's going on. Because if you have a close friend that knows you well enough and knows how important this is to you, when they see you and you seem a little bit off it, they won't really need that question of, okay, David, are you doing okay? You seem a little bit off. They'll kind of have that insight already. I feel like it's a, it grants people a little bit of a window into your brain if you choose to open that window. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think it's maybe social media isn't the best place to share these things. These are perhaps are things that are better shared on, on a more one-to-one nature with, with friends. But even, you know, taking social media as an example, I, I tend to use Instagram and I'm very reluctant to sort of share it. Like I, uh, you know, you and I were just chatting before we started the the recording about uh, I started PT last week for my my Achilles uh, tear, and um, I posted a picture from from my first PT session. And you know, how many of those do I feel like people would be interested in? Like, I'm going twice a week for the next month or so. Do I want to post a picture of me lying on a table or you know doing a, a getting dry needling um, every time I go? maybe that's fine. Maybe I should share my recovery story with people and not assume that, that that's boring for everyone. And they only want to see pictures of me running up the top of a mountain or running with my dog or something. Around yeah. The you know, that's social media, I think could be a bridge or at least an alarm bell for our society, because you brought up something interesting there about being one-to-one. And I came out and was fortunate enough as we talked last time to hang out with you for a couple of days with your family and I really cherish that time to be able to connect. But when was the last time with even your close friends, you were able to connect one-on-one with as busy as we are, perhaps social media with as much negativity as it gets is this facilitating partner to kind of say, hey, I need some help. You know, it's it could be that little bit of a call out to your friends to say, hey, let's get together and let's talk about your Achilles and what you're going through over some coffee. Yeah, and there's a lot of great people out there, people that you may only know a little bit through through social media or even people that you, you don't know. And I think by putting some of this stuff out there that is less positive but is ultimately working towards uh, being more positive, right, by being able to overcome an injury, I think, um, at least when I think about it, uh, as we're going through this conversation now, I can probably, you know, get 
get help and ideas in terms of how I might be able to recover even even better and come out even stronger from this from people that I have never interacted with before that have gone through similar experiences or have expertise in certain areas of you know running or or uh, phys- physical therapy that uh, that could help me and I think that's probably true for, sure. for everyone the I think it's a bit unfair too with running as a sport in general you can even include walking hiking these movements that don't take a ton of mobility you know go into another realm of sport like the snatch uh, in the Olympic weightlifting field and the amount of mobility in the hips and the ankles and the shoulders throughout the spine, it's enormous. Nobody just goes in and starts doing that. It, it takes a long time to build up. But running, as you mentioned before, you just grab a pair of shoes in any city and you can just start. And I think these smallest little lack of mobility pieces here and there or lack of flexibility, strength, stability, whatever it is, they just kind of catch up. They can be cumulative. So it takes somebody a lot of times a while to figure out why I'm injured now after all this time. And kind of, it's probably, I would say the journey you've been on over the past five years. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm pretty diligent about strength and mobility work, um, but probably could do even more of that. And I, I was just listening to uh, a podcast interview with Gwen Jorgensen yesterday. She was on the ritual podcast recently and she was talking about she's coming back from an injury uh, herself and was talking about the amount of time she spends now preparing for a run obviously she's a professional runner so she has time to spend before a run she can take 30 minutes or 45 minutes to do mobility drills and activate her, her glutes and other muscles so she's ready to run and has reduced the the risk of, of injury from the running itself, which I think is linked to your you know your comment about the these these motions that we're going through in, in running and not being uh, properly prepared for them. But I think there's something to take from that, right? If you one, you should be doing some type of mobility work before you start your run. And I guess you know we could think about if you've got an hour run scheduled. Would it be better just to do a 45-minute run and spend those extra 15 minutes doing mobility work or wake up an extra 15 minutes early, which I understand isn't always possible for you know regular runners that have a nine-to-five job and need the amount of need all of the sleep that they can get and can't wake up 15 or 20 minutes early. But I think maybe sacrificing a little bit of your running time to get more mobile before you go out there, I think is going to help at least reduce the chance of injury. It's kind of a parallel to the topic we're, we're talking about of, you know, recognizing when there is an injury, but I think anything you can do to set your body up well to run Absolutely. well. And I think that kind of goes back as well to, you know, the reasons why we want to be injury free outside of running now is because you want to be able to run forever. And if you look at, consistency and longer chunk periods of time when you weren't injured, those are going to tend to be your best training blocks, your best training results. You know, I I don't think there are a few, we should say at least people that suffer an injury and then come back and set a PR right off the bat. You know, it's these long uninterrupted, 
outside of a standard or a, a planned on rest from training these long bouts that, that really do us well. And you throw one injury in each year and it just sets you back. And I think it claws you back down into the pit and, and keeps you away from your true potential. Yeah, that, that's a really great point. And, you know, from my own personal experience, the one question that the, the, when I, when I went to see the podiatrist and we, we were looking at my MRI results and the one question he asked me, which is an obvious question and, and was, you know, do you want to be running when you're 80 or, or 90 years old? And I love running so much that I, that I, yes, the answer is absolutely yes. Right. And I think just asking a really simple question like that to yourself when injuries crop up or at least an injury that has been plaguing you for a long time like like was the case with me and you really honestly answer that that question then taking you know six weeks off or or two months or whatever in the big scheme of things if you want to be running for another 20 30 or right. depending on how old you are right 60 more years then it's really a tiny bit of time to get yourself right and get yourself healthy so you can run pain-free and enjoy it more because that's ultimately why most of us are doing this right we're not professional runners we're not making a living from this we're running because we love it and we we're running because and because we want to be outside and we want to keep doing it reframing that thought about being injured and the injury process and what you're doing is probably a a pretty key thing to focus on so i can kind of volley this to you right now um, offering you some some potential mental advice with with where you're at. I thought of this analogy the other day with being injured, uh, like a race car, whether it's NASCAR running in a track, whatever. They have a, a pit stop, right? And that pit stop parallels the racetrack. So if it's an oval, the pit stops to the right. They go and hit that pit stop because they need to get new tires or gas, whatever. But what you don't realize when you're in the pit stop is that you're still moving forward. It's not like you pit stop and you you turn and head out of the track to go fill up with gas somewhere. The track it's it's parallel to the pit stop. They're always moving forward. They just need a little bit of help. Yeah. I love that analogy. I think that's it, it helps you think about things in a much more positive and yeah, we're going to go with it. Is that a word? Progressional? I think so. Yeah. Boy, we'll go with that progressional way so that I'm not thinking about that I'm stuck and I'm stuck in PT and not running for for six weeks or, or eight weeks, but I'm I'm still moving forward, right? The things I'm doing now, whether that's just the, the fact that I'm not running and putting that repetitive stress on my messed up Achilles and I'm getting PT is are all things that are moving me forward in that, in that pit stop, just like getting new right. tires and, yeah, the, you know, the positivity, I think gets a bit drowned out with, you know, I know I need to be positive. Okay. It's, it's just, it's hard to then execute. You know, I think finding different ways to, to think about things instead offers people the way to, to be positive because look, if I'm, if I'm hurt, Heck, I just sneezed this morning. I, I fell asleep funny on my couch. I sneezed funny this morning and I restrained this muscle in my neck. I mean, it's like the silliest thing ever. 
but I'm not happy that I did that, but I can't fester in it. It's just, it's tough to give people advice for how to be positive when there's, there's not, you know, seemingly a lot to be positive about, but at the cellular level, we know through some science that, you know, we can influence things. We're getting a bit deep into quantum stuff, but that everything, everything can help you if you, if you choose to let it and allow it to. I think that's the key choosing it's about choice and the choice to allow yourself to get better and not feel like you need to in the specific example of this today's topic around running that that you have to keep running um, whether that's because you know running's your your therapy or that you post a lot of stuff on on instagram it's it's fine and to take a break and and people are not gonna stop following you or think less of you because right you're not posting the, runs on, on and i work with a, with runners so yeah, aside from the many hats that i wear right one of my specialties is in working and helping people that come to me and feel broken you know i've been to 14 people and 10 doctors and i've had everything looked at and nobody can help me what do i need to do and one of the first things I work with is my strategy I call redirection. And it just involves like, what can we do right now to get you moving, to do something? Whether it's hopping on the rower, like you mentioned, getting in the pool with a pull buoy between your legs to do some type of uh, aerobic work, just to get those mitochondria fired up, those endorphins flowing and get you back in that mental state in which you feel like you can then deal with your life. I just see so many people using running in a therapeutic way that once it's taken away, it's like they're cut off from their favorite psychologist, you know? Yeah. And and in many ways you can, and I think you can talk a little bit about this from, you know, the change in your, in your life in the past, what, two weeks with your new, your new gig at the teaching at school that there are, you're, your heart and your lungs don't really know the difference between whether you're, you know, you're running for an hour or cycling for an hour or swimming for an hour. Certainly your, your muscle, some of your muscles do, but uh, there's these cross training uh, tools are, are great ways to train your body when you're unable to, Absolutely. to run and, or and not with able as to much run as specificity much as, as, as there, like. there is for sure. I know some really high level men and women that have spent six to eight weeks in the pool coming off of stress reactions or stress fractures in the lower extremities only to make it back in time for championship meets and run close to PRs and win races. I mean, it's, it's really pretty unreal. Yeah. And you look at some, I was just uh, on Twitter earlier today before, before I hopped on the podcast and I saw that, uh, Killian Jornet had won the Pikes Peak Marathon. He takes what uh, two months off from running every winter to do to to do cross country skiing events, which is a similar motion, but right without the without the pounding. And I think he's done that for right. his and entire then career. We even see that, from, and then we don't do that for some reason, you know. <laughs> 
We're like, wow, that's a really good idea. And who exactly. in the world would you ask, hey, would you aspire to have results like Killian would say no, you know? And it's not like we need to copy, you know, he's he, when he does all exactly. the, the skiing exactly. and, and mountaineering and, and mountain skiing, you know, it's almost like probably a mental break as well. But yeah, for all intents and pur- purposes, I think we're just, we're also a bit stubborn, right? I, th- I think the the average runner is likes to be, once they find a shoe that works, a watch that works, their favorite hat, you know, they just want that change is kind of tough to come by uh, for the for the average runner, would you say? Yeah, I think, well, I think stubbornness is a good uh, characteristic to have to a certain degree, particularly for long distance running and, you know, think about it, running a 50 mile race or a, or a hundred mile race, you need to have some stubbornness in you to just keep, keep moving and not succumb to all of the, you know, the tricks that your brain's trying to play on you to, to sit down or, or, or give up. So it's a, it's a good, good characteristic to have, but it can certainly cause us, cause us harm in other ways when we just keep going out there and running every day and ignoring little pains that, that are going to get worse. Yeah. If we, and I think we don't the, stop talking about so pain briefly, you know, everybody has a threshold and here's where it gets uh, real sciencey and a bit tricky with figuring out where you're at in terms of flare ups. But if everybody has a baseline and then some acute training stimulus or here's where it gets even deeper, a big stress at work or some big change in your family, a move, a change in environment, any of those things spike that that stimulus stress response in the body. And it puts you that much closer on the edge to being subjected and subdued to a painful stimulus. Does that make sense? If we have this baseline kind of humming along and almost like an EKG readout, it bleeps up, it bleeps up. If you kind of stay up right close to that threshold, all of a sudden the smallest thing kind of set you off and that could be uh, the answer to a why now. Like, why right now? Oh, well, I'm really under a lot of stress at work and I therefore haven't been sleeping. And you could see how it's annoying to have to look at everything to figure out one the answer to one question. Yeah, I think so. And I think particularly for ultra runners or I guess endurance runners in general, there's a a thought that pain is is okay to a certain degree as well, right? It's just something you're supposed to kind of deal with that um, I, I guess is kind of going back to our where we started off that, you know, runners are, are, are tough. Making they can run, you know, twenty four hours through through the mountains without without stopping, and there's going to be pain involved in that. And so, if we want to be that kind of athlete that runs high up in the mountains for hours on end, that we just have to to deal with that that pain. And when there are those blips, it's just it's just yeah. I think you have to learn you know, what your that, your tell is for happens. your blip, as you put it. You know, when I I thought I was. Not that I by any means think I'm 
a super tough person, right? But I, f- I felt like I was pretty calloused in my head. You know, like, uh, yeah, I like to suffer. I like to go out and, you know, really feel like I'm putting in a huge effort having run through like high school and college and post-collegiately. And I found out a number of years ago when I broke my foot that I am not good with dealing with acute pain. It just kind of rocks my world. I- I've really tapped into the you know, the aerobic burn, lactate <laughs> filling up the body, but with acute pain, when I broke my foot, I was like, I couldn't do anything. <laughs> so, and but everybody's different. My wife broke the same bone. She still went to martial arts class that night and participated for the most part. And it was just a bit sore for her. So you really got to figure out and you have to be honest with yourself too, and seeing how you deal with that acute pain. So you could start to best direct yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're getting, you're getting into areas of like, of sports psychology, I think that I'm, I'm certainly no expert in, but I can recognize, you know, everything you're saying in, in myself and how I often deal with pain, whether that's pain that I'm experiencing during a, a run or pain that I'm experiencing because of a run or something else that I've done and how I, I deal with that and perhaps not being as honest Absolutely. about that pain with, and what in, that means in terms of, as I, as I yeah, should be. Honesty is tough. And then as a coach, when you end up having an athlete uh, confess to you, right? Like finally tell you, coach, I got to you take me for example. I've been dealing with this thing for two weeks probably should have said something, but I'm close to not being able to run. Do you use the same redirection strategies and try and get them to do other things to keep that brain still satisfied? Do you have any, any tips or things that you end up doing in particular? Yeah, absolutely. It it depends a lot on the athlete and the, where the injury is is um, the fact that most of the athletes I coach, I I do so remotely makes it a little more challenging because you often don't know uh, as much details as you could if you were, you know, right with them. And I'm certain I'm not a medically trained professional, but even just, you know, from the experiences I have coaching and and running myself, I can often help a little bit more uh, and, have a bit of insight into yeah this is just chill for a day or two and let's see what it what it feels like then or oh crap you should probably go and see a, a doctor or a, phys- a physical therapist right um but like that aside um i love cycling for uh you know keeping that um keeping someone interested and motivated in in their training and you know a good one hour of of easy cycling or even if you had like a you know you've got like a midweek workout plan with a you know some tempo intervals you can just hop on the bike and do that instead if the if that if the cycling movement isn't causing you any discomfort where you have the injury and a week or two of that, right. it's not going to I really enjoy cycling. I mean, I grew your, up around the sport in terms and of the Colorado fitness. Classics rolling through town this weekend out in the Denver area. And it was it's just so nice. I, I feel it's so complimentary to running 
Whereas running is repetitive hip flexion, we have cycling repetitive hip extension, right? Drive, drive, driving down. I also feel very light and strong through my feet as your calves just end up and your feet in your cycling shoe just working in this isometric pattern of, of being able to sustain the, the motoring drive through your through your butt hamstrings and your quads. I don't know, there's so many things I like about it, especially with cadence too, teaching people how to how to turn over it's just downshift a gear and get them spinning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really love cycling myself and I think it's a, it's a great sport to use during your regular training for running and then move to uh, more so when when you're struggling with a, a little a little injury that doesn't require complete complete time off time off from from exercise. There's one athlete I I coached that was training for a a full uh, hundred miler lap last year um, that you know too Tom and and she was struggling with what I think was an overuse injury in the build up to that and we we laid off running for more than a month in her pretty close to where the like her, the key training was in her 100 mile build up and really i just had her doing everything that um, she would have been doing running wise you know sort of steady state type interval sessions and and longer slow efforts on on the weekend just doing all of that on the bike instead and then gradually introducing running back as as the the injury went away and she rocked her 100 mile race and not saying that that's the ideal training scenario for a 100 mile race and she if she'd been able to run through that that period instead of relying exclusively on cycling i'm sure she could that's have awesome those stories always better, fire she, you up she it's, crushed out it's such a big smile race. on your face even telling the story i can i, I can hear it so if i guess let's close this by offering a, a couple pieces of advice yeah. just in thinking about injuries as we mentioned just about everybody's dealt with them in some capacity if you've run for more than a handful of months so we probably need to be very kind to ourselves kind to ourselves in terms of not imposing all this pressure to keep doing it just to do it i think we should probably focus on being bodily prepared as best as possible. So those old lingering injuries from the past, if if you know, hey, I had chronic ankle sprains in high school, like what's one thing I could do for a couple minutes, one to two times a week to keep that stuff at bay? And then I, I would kind of wrap my thoughts up with some type of support, being able to ask for help, uh, relying on, on people for, for what they're there for, to be part of your community and your your support structure and, and allowing us to do what you do. Do you have anything to add to that from a coaching or personal perspective? Yeah, I, I echo the, the, the importance of incorporating tr- some type of strength and mobility uh, training and flexibility into your into your daily routines. So some type of 
mobility and activation work, it doesn't need to be that, that long before you go out and run, ease into that, that run. And then strength and mobility work. Tom and you and I, we both love Jay Johnson's um, Sam workouts that he's posted for free on the, the internet. I'd recommend everyone go and check those out. There's an entire series of them and they're, they're fantastic. Is, right. And don't, they don't take that long. Even the, as you kind of go into the latter uh, phases, they're still like 10, maybe 12, 12 minutes long. Nothing more than that. It doesn't take that much time and you can, you can, work that into your schedule. And then I would agree with uh, finding a support network. I not, I wouldn't rely exclusively on, you know, Twitter or, or Google for uh, trying to figure out what's, what's wrong with you, but having someone that you, you know, that you can go to that you, you trust that can give you really honest feedback in terms of, yeah, you should just lay off for a, a week and do something else. And, yeah, if you awesome. feel well, free to reach great. out to, to Again, me or, or Tom two if you've up. got questions as well. Look We'd forward to, to some more of these. I'll catch you later, Coach. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. Send us any comments, feedback, questions, or positive vibes on Instagram. David Welch can be found under the handle plant-powered-running, all one word. And Tom Stott can be reached at elevation underscore running. We'll see you en route to your next adventure.